listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message by Pastor Andy Squires. Everybody doing well? Feeling good? Praise the Lord. Um, Well, I had a great week. I, I personally had a great week. I think nationally it was kind of a hard week. I think uh, it was just very, uh, uh, you could call it a precarious moment in the history of our nation. Um, and uh, it, it, it feels like there are a lot of uh, hurt hearts, a lot of um, just just a lot of emotion running around. And I just want to encourage you this morning that um, as Christians, one of the things that we're mainly called to is to walk in humility, is to walk in great humility. And part of walking in great humility is not speaking quickly. And um, so as you're going about your life and, and you, you hear the barrage of news and you hear the barrage on the social media stuff and, and uh, you might feel an inclination to jump out there with, with your opinion or with, with an idea, um, my recommendation is before you do that, you quiet yourself and you ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. And what I've, what I've discovered is that the Holy Spirit is mostly leading me into gentleness. He's mostly leading me into speaking softly rather than speaking loudly. And he's mostly leading me into speaking the truth, but when I speak that truth, to make sure that I do it in love. Amen? Because I really do believe this, that um, in really difficult times, it is an opportunity for the body of Christ to bear witness to the kingdom that they're carrying. And, and, and we can lose an opportunity with our witness if we join in the fray, into the political fray. So anyways, that's that. And I want to tell you about this other thing that happened to me this week. And it's pretty great. I was, I was invited by my friend Adam Russell. Adam's a pastor in Campbellsville, Kentucky. And uh, he's on the board of the Vineyard Denomination. And he, he does these retreats for the vineyard and they had a gathering for the southeastern worship leaders in the vineyard denomination and he asked me to come preach. And so I went up there for a few days just to hang out with them and it, it turned into an incredibly refreshing time for me and my soul because, um, well, one, I didn't have to lead worship. I just got to, to worship. And, um, on Wednesday night, something happened that I haven't seen happen in probably about 10 years. I've, I've seen it before, but it's been a while since I've seen it. I was on schedule to preach on Wednesday night and, um, and I got kicked off the preaching schedule. And this thing happened is that we started worshiping. The band was really good, but it didn't matter that what happened had nothing to do with how good the band was. But we just began worshiping, and about 45 minutes in, when we were supposed to stop worshiping, we kept worshiping because the presence of the Lord in the room was so thick that we knew we couldn't move on from that moment. 
And, and Adam looks at me and he goes, Andy, I think I'm going to have to call an audible here. You're not going to get to preach tonight. And God, I think God wants to do some work in the room. And I have to be honest with you. I was a little bit offended. I mean, I prepared long and hard for that message, man. You know, I took time out of my schedule to go do this thing for these people. And man, it would have been such a privilege for them to hear me speak. (laughs) So I had to do a little bit of work in my heart for just a second. But man, I'm so glad that there were there was leadership in the room that was paying attention to the Holy Spirit. When he showed up, they responded in a way that was so life giving to the folks in a room, including me. And man, it just lit a fire in my belly that I haven't felt in a really long time. And, you know, have you ever been in a worship service where you were just embarrassing yourself? Like you were just singing so loudly. You were raising your hands the whole time. You were just going crazy. You were just going after it. And and it didn't matter because everybody in the room was doing the exact same thing. Have you ever done that before? I mean, it is the best thing when we all stop thinking about what we're doing and what the person next to us is doing. And we all are just working so hard at behaving during worship that nothing ever really happens. And we just like walked into this moment where everybody stopped behaving and it was fantastic. And it re-envisioned me for what I want to do in church. It re-envisioned me for what I, why I got into leading worship in the first place. It wasn't because I care that much about music. It wasn't because I care that much about singing on a stage. I mean, all those things are fine. But man, I love it when God walks in the room more than anything else. Because when he walks in the room, everything changes. That seems so simple, but I promise you, we have forgotten about that reality. In fact, you can forget about it so much that you'll stop orienting your heart towards that thing. And then a few years go go by and then it becomes just a faded memory. And then you don't even have a faded memory anymore. And, and I don't say that as condemnation or anything. I mean, I'm preaching to myself right here. I'm just amazed at the goodness of God that he just keeps coming back around. He just keeps leading us to green pastures. Amen. But there's this peace. There's this peace that we have to play in this. And we've said it from the stage before, but the peace that we have to play is that when the Lord shows up, we are paying attention and we say yes when he comes. You'll hear Jesus say this over and over in the Gospels. Eyes to see, ears to hear. Eyes to see, ears to hear. You may be a Christian, and you may have been a Christian for a really long time, but but so many times Jesus would say this, you need eyes to see, and you need ears to hear, and he was saying this to believers. He was saying this to people who were following him, who had given their lives to following God. But he reminds us again, we need eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen? All right. Well, today we're in the, we're in Mark chapter 10. Last week, uh, Robin preached on Mark 11, but I've been on the schedule for quite a while with Mark chapter 10 and I haven't gotten to do it. And so I'm doing it today. You know, the gospel of Mark is the speed dating gospel. I don't know if you know this, but the gospel of Mark moves really quickly. 
If you wanted to read one of the gospels really fast and kind of get a, a, a good knowledge base for what the gospel has to say, the book of Mark is a great place to start start because it moves really fast. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Mark chapter 10. Man, we're going to, we're going to jump right in. And the thing about it is it gets really gritty really fast. There is no way for me to ease into this. Okay. So we're just going to go after this together. The book of Mark chapter 10, it actually, there's five parts to it, and then there's a finale, okay? And we're going to go through each one of these movements, and we're just going to hit them kind of like a Bible study a little bit. We're just going to see what this chapter has to say. But before I begin with that, I want to say this. The gospel is bad news before it's good news. The gospel is bad news before it's good news. All right. Here's why it's bad news, because the gospel is true and the gospel speaks the truth. The worst part of it is the gospel speaks the truth to you about you. And the great majority of us don't want to deal in that. And we'll see that from the text, how Before the gospel will comfort you, it's going to make you very uncomfortable. Before the gospel is going to make sense of your life, it's going to completely undo everything that you've ever thought. Especially if you're clinging to a lie in your life. I have lies in my life. I'll just go ahead and tell you that right now. I am not standing on the stage having figured out the full length and breadth of my life yet in the area of truth. I am a person on the way with coming to grips with what is true. You are the same way. And the gospel is the clarion call into your life that wants to deal with you on the plane of truth. Here's the thing. Jesus never negotiates with liars. You cannot come to Jesus with your lie or with the lie about yourself and ask him for grace in exchange. The only way Jesus will deal with you if you have the truth about yourself and you own it. This is not an easy path. This is why following Jesus is a narrow path. Because it is difficult To deal with the truth of yourself. So in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. In chapter 11, it's the triumphal entry. But in chapter 10, he's on his way. And the first thing that we see happening is the Pharisees are coming to test Jesus. And they come to test him on a point of the law. And here's what they ask him. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? Jesus replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Jesus replied, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no no man separate. Let man not separate. And when they were in the house again, 
the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So here's the thing. That's a really hard statement. Jesus is not sidestepping their question. Okay, they had, they had, uh, the Pharisees had created a bunch of technicalities within the law to live a lifestyle that they wanted to live. Okay, they, they were not dealing in the truth about themselves, so they were creating technicalities in order to pursue their heart's desire. And when, conf- I mean, Jesus didn't go after them on this subject. He just says, here's the way it really is. Okay? Now, I would say this, that we all have different kinds of divorces in our life. We all have separations that have happened in our life. This isn't just, uh, this just isn't for people that have dealt in divorce or been divorced or gotten divorced. This isn't just a condemnation of those people. This is really just a point for each one of us to ask, our, ask ourselves the question, where have we created technicalities in our life that have let us get away with something that we were not supposed to be getting away with? The worst thing you can do with reading scripture is read it and see the truth in it for somebody else. You might read this, this thing on divorce and you go, oh, I know some divorced people that really need to read this. But the spirit of God is doing a work in you. We miss what the scripture is saying so often because we think it's for somebody else. But really, the Holy Spirit means it for you and I. So scripture doesn't always sound like good news because it is a revealer of our hearts and our lives. All right. So the Pharisees have created these technicalities which help them avoid the truth. Their desire for lawful divorce was permitted because of their hardness of heart. Man, when I read that, the first thing I think is, I have hardness in my heart. I know I do. I know I do. And my journey with Jesus is to have that hardness exposed and dealt with. Amen? So, The amazing thing about this exchange is that it really does prove that God is not a control freak because here he has his people and they're wanting to kind of like sidestep this idea that man, that in the beginning, God created man and woman and he meant them to become one flesh and that once they were joined, you shouldn't break them apart. Yet in all of that prophetic vision for what it means God allows them to have their way because of the hardness of their heart. God is not a control freak. He lets us have our own way if we insist. But he will definitely tell us the truth about it. God will let you have your way. But he will tell you the truth about how that will really play out for you. His vision for humanity, human sexuality is stated here, and it is a hard truth to swallow. 
But Jesus does not sidestep the question. And just bear with me here, because I know this sounds kind of rough, but just remember what I said in the beginning. Before the gospel is good news, it's what? It's bad news. All right? This is not Jesus's main point that divorce is bad. In this chapter, Jesus is make, he's going to make some really hard points over and over, but there's going to be an avalanche of relief attached to this. Just bear with me. So in the second act of, of Mark chapter 10, we see this really interesting thing happen. And you know this story, but Jesus's fame has gone out before him. And all of a sudden, Parents want to bring their little children to Jesus so that he can touch them and so that he can bless them. And Jesus' followers, they, it's just this continual uh, exercise in futility for these guys. They are, they are like you and I. They're always missing the point. All right? So it's not that they had never seen Jesus scoop up a child and bless that child before. They'd seen that before. But for some reason, as he's making his journey to Jerusalem, folks are bringing their kids and, and the disciples get grumpy. They're thinking, oh, we're on our way to crown the Messiah. We're on our way to overthrow Rome. Now is not the time for these little kids to bother our Messiah. And the scripture says Jesus becomes indignant. Guess what, guys? Jesus is not a little cuddle mouse. If you have an untruth or a lie working in your life, he will confront you and he will be indignant about it. And that's okay. It's not a bad thing. You want to be confronted by the Holy Ghost in your life. I promise you, you do. You don't want to be walking through your life and not have Jesus speaking to you. So here's these people. They're bringing their kids. All they want is for Jesus to touch him. The disciples say, no. Jesus says, oh, wait a second. Wait a second. You misunderstand my kingdom yet again. I'm on my way to Jerusalem. Do not hinder these little ones to come to me. Because unless you enter the kingdom like one of these, you can by no means enter the kingdom of God. And then the scripture says that he actually lays his hands upon them and blesses them. Side note, you can lay your hands on people and bless them and you'll change their life. Do you know how many people have never had their, have had, had hands laid on and prayed over? You could have a whole ministry for the rest of your life just blessing people. People need to be blessed. We need to be blessed. You need to be affirmed. You need someone to pray over your life. You need a father or mother or brother and sister to pray over your life. You need prayer, y'all. I need prayer. I need somebody to come along with me and say, Andy, you're doing a good job. Keep going. Don't lose heart. Don't lose faith. And these little ones were coming to Jesus. And these parents knew what was up, man. Parents, bless your kids. So we got this divorce rebuke. Thanks a lot, God. We got this little children coming unto me rebuke. Man, it's like Jesus is just mad all the time. What is going on? But there's a reason for it. 
Mindsets exist in the world that God wants to confront. Are you with me so far? That's in the second act. The little children. Act three. Oh, this is another good story. I know we're moving quickly. But this is the story of the rich young ruler. If you've got your Bible open, let's read this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except for God. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, All these things I have done since I was a boy. I love this line. This is fantastic. Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's in the Bible, y'all. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. Oh, man. Jesus is making a whole profession out of showing people what they lack. Jesus is making a whole profession of kind of like faking people out with the good news, but really giving them bad news. Like, here's this guy. He's fulfilled the whole law. And he's come running up to this guy that he's heard is the Messiah. And he's like, man, I want to be saved just like everybody else. How do I do this? And Jesus doesn't say to him, well, ask me into your heart. All you have to do is ask me into your heart. He's like, no, you lack something. There's something that you should do. And it's going to be really great. It's going to be amazing if you do this. Here's what I want you to do, man. All of your stuff, I want you to sell it. And I want you to give it all away to the poor. And then I want you to follow me. I want you to come after me. Follow me. Do you know that in the New Testament, there were people that wanted to leave everything behind and go follow Jesus? And he said, no, no, no. Go stay home. Go take care of your parents. Go plant a field. Not everybody got this invitation, y'all. He was getting an opportunity to come in to the inner orbit of the Jesus followers. He would have had direct access to Jesus. I mean, clearly, Jesus loved him. It says so in the text. Because one thing you've lacked. You've done all this other fantastic stuff. But, but there's something else. Do you think the Lord really cared if that guy had money or not? He didn't. He did not care that this was a wealthy man. But what he did care was that he could see that money had his heart. He could see that in a way he was hard-hearted. In your hard-heartedness, God will allow you to have these things. And so he goes, if you want to be free, get rid of that stuff and come after me. And the scripture bears witness and it says this. The man went away very sad because he had so much money. He had so much stuff that he couldn't give it up to enter into the kingdom. I kind of feel fortunate because I've never really had money. 
And so like following Jesus has always been easy for me. I mean, it's like, I got no other options. But, but Jesus goes on to say it. He says, it is very difficult for rich people to enter into the kingdom. It's very difficult because we get consumed by the things that we have. We get consumed by the cares of the world. We get consumed by so many different things. And Jesus is looking at us and he loves us. And he's like, hey, we can handle that. As long as you come follow me. But this wasn't really a rebuke, was it? It was an invitation. So Jesus, he ends up losing on every stretch, man. He gets challenged by the Pharisees, asks the question. He, he gives them a rebuke. The disciples, they want the, they don't want the little kids coming. Jesus gives them a rebuke. Man, he tones it down for the rich young ruler. He's not rebuking anybody. He's inviting him to come over to, to his side of the, the river. It's like, man, come on over here. It's so good over here. And he can't even win when he's given a simple invitation. And so the rich young ruler goes away very sad. One thing you lack, go and sell and follow me. How hard it is, Jesus said, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples, they witness all of this. And they ask Jesus about it later. And they're astonished by his answer. And they get something right. They say it this way. If this guy can't be saved, who then can be saved? He said they say it right here in the text. If you've got your Bible open. Starting at verse 24, the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who the heck then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, Oh, I'll just wait. I don't want to read that yet. So here's what's going on, guys. In that first act concerning divorce, Jesus states the truth about what the Torah, the law said. In the second section, we see this rebuke happening with the disciples. In the third section, we see this Man who so desperately wants to follow the Lord, but can't quite make it over. If I'm just reading those first three acts and I don't go any further, I'm closing this book and I'm walking away because all I'm saying to myself is who the heck can be saved? Before the good news is good news, it's bad news because Jesus is not going to leave you in your lie about yourself. He wants to deal with it. But you might say to yourself, you don't know what I've got going on in my life. It's so bad, there's no possible way that God could help me out and bring me in. 
But the good, the bad news gets very good really fast, y'all. And we witness it right here. To me, this is like an avalanche of God's goodness. And it just really kind of sets in order everything that we've already seen in this passage. Jesus says it like this. After they've said, who then can be saved? Jesus looks at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fall, fail to receive a hundred times as much. In this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. That's kind of a hard scripture too. Jesus is describing a progression here. And you you might read it and you might you might go, "Wow, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to gain mothers, fathers, children's fields and lands." You might read that and go, "I'm going to get a lot of stuff if I live for Jesus." But I mean, that might be true. But the persecution side is real too. So you can't amen the stuff side unless you amen the persecution side. And I don't really think it's talking about accumulating a lot of wealth. What I think it's talking about is by the nature of the kingdom and you expressing the kingdom of God in your life, disciples will be made and you will gain many brothers, sisters, fathers, and mothers. There will be many added to the kingdom that way. Amen. All right. So then in the next in the next section, we've got Jesus predicting his death. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows what's coming. I don't know if he knows the exact details of it, but he can definitely feel the uh, ominous shadow that's in the distance. And he tells his disciples about that that about what is going to happen. And and they're mystified. They don't really understand what he's saying. But then after that little section, we have a really, really interesting conversation here. And this is going to be kind of like our final rebuke in this passage. Once again, Jesus is confronting the mindsets of his closest followers. This is very this is a very interesting exchange. So James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and they said, "Teacher, this is hilarious. I love this line. We want you to do for us whatever we ask." I mean, I'm a little offended by that, but I'm kind of like, man, that's, 
I could see how being direct and clear like that with God could be very helpful at times, you know, like there's something to be said about not beating around the bush. Amen. You know, I mean, you might have to talk like a fool to the Lord at times because they're talking, they're talking like fools here. Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you to do. And it's really beautiful because Jesus just says, what do you want me to do for you? He doesn't even get mad. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Hmm. And Jesus said, you don't know what you are asking. Jesus said, can you drink the cup? Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and the baptism with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They were mad because they were all thinking to ask the same question too. They just didn't get there soon enough. Everybody's uh, fighting for power here in this passage. And Jesus called them together and he's like, guys, settle down. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So not only does he have a rebuke here, but he has a redirect for them. He's had to redirect them over and over. But once again, he's talking to them about the small, hidden, weak, invisible kingdom of God where children are welcome and rich men are welcome as long as they have the truth about themselves. And here these 12 disciples are having the truth again about their hearts once again. And he's telling them the thing that they don't want to hear. If you want to be great, then you have to become smaller and smaller. If you want to be known, then you have to serve. If you want to be known by your father, then you have to give up your life for your brother. If you want to have mercy in your life, then you have to sow mercy to somebody who doesn't deserve it. Guys, we're living in an age now where you're surrounded. We are surrounded by people who don't deserve mercy. And it is our call. It is the call of Christ to sow mercy everywhere it is not deserved because that's exactly what he did, isn't it? 
If you want to walk the Jesus path, if you want to walk the Jesus way, you have to do what he's saying right here in this passage. If you want to be great in my eyes, then you have to serve. You have to lay down your life. And what does it mean to lay down your life? It doesn't necessarily mean to die. It means to sow mercy on on Facebook when you'd rather sow retribution. It means to sow mercy to the Democrats. It means to sow mercy to the Republicans. It means to, to sow mercy to everybody. And and the thing is, is that there is a day for justice. There is a day for justice. We don't want to wipe justice aside. Because like I've said so far in this message, God is a revealer of truth. The gospel is a revealer of truth. And sometimes when the gospel comes, it feels like bad news before it feels like good news. You know that story in the Old Testament where King David is confronted by his sin with Bathsheba? Where the anointed king of Israel has a man murdered and then commits adultery with the dead man's wife? It's a terrible story in the history of Israel. It's a terrible testament in the Bible. But here, here's the thing. The day that Nathan the prophet came to King David to confront him on his sin was day number one in David's restoration. Do you know how hard and uncomfortable it was for David to be sitting on his throne and in front of his entire court have Nathan the prophet call out his sin publicly? Do you know how terrible that was for David? I'm sure that elicited a flood of tears and mourning and weeping and gnashing of teeth. But that was day number one in David's renewal and restoration and redemption. Because until he had the truth about the sin that he had committed, until he had heard the gospel of the bad news in his life, he couldn't cross over into the gospel of the good news. Because God doesn't send a confronting witness and leave you on your own. God didn't send Nathan to David, tell him the bad news, and then put him out to pasture on his own. He heard the tough news, the truth about his heart, the truth about what he had done, the truth about the shed blood of his hands. And he began to make things right with the Lord. And the Lord began to make things right with him. But so often we're afraid of those confronting voices in our life. But God only brings them to bring us into life everlasting. You know what? I'm, I'm convinced that just about everybody have secret things, secret shame, secret whatever, myself included, in our hearts that we would be so relieved if everybody else knew and we were accepted regardless of that thing. And that's what God is like. That's, that's who he is. 
He receives us in all of those things and he doesn't bring condemnation. He doesn't bring shame. He doesn't sow shame into your life. But the pathway to getting free from shame is on the road of truth. Man, the Bible's incredible. You should read it. You should read it more often. You should read it honestly. You should read it like you don't understand what it's saying. When you don't understand what it's saying, you should say that out loud to the Lord and ask him to help you. All right? But it really is the path, path of life. But I love how, how, how Mark closes this particular chapter out. Because <laughs> this chapter is really about a bunch of people who can't see anything. This is about a bunch of people who are walking around blind. They're blinded by their own mindsets and they're blinded by their lies. But there's a miracle at the end of this chapter that is so fantastic. It's not just a miracle for this blind guy who got his restored sight. To me, it's a prophetic sign of what God really means for each and every one of us. In all of our blindness, God wants us to see. And we see it played out here in the scripture. The day came, then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Man, if you don't know any other prayer to pray, pray that one. That will open the doorway for your life, man. If you don't know how to pray, I mean, sometimes I just feel like praying is just like, to me, it's like an exercise in weakness. I just don't know how to do it most of the time. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? You just don't know what to pray. Gosh, sometimes we just have to get down and gritty like this. Jesus, have mercy on me. Don't pass me by. Man, call out to him. There's something about calling out his name. Call out to him. Well, in this case, Jesus stops. Oh, man, listen to this. Folks are getting religious. Many rebuked Bartimaeus and told him to be quiet. Oh, man. But he did not be quiet. And he shouted again. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and he said, call him. So they called to the blind man. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Asked Jesus. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. So this guy definitely understood the truth of his situation, didn't he? He had the full truth of his reality. He had a little better than most of us because, you know, we don't all understand exactly what we're not seeing. 
But he, he knew that he was not seeing. And Jesus says, what do you want? I want to see. And Jesus did it. He says, go. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Guys, why don't we make that our prayer today? God, we want to see. We want to see Jesus. We want to see. Holy Spirit, we give you permission right now to come into the places in our heart that aren't right. We give you our hearts and minds right now. And we just ask you this week to lead us into your ways. And and we say this, Lord, you're speaking and we're listening. And we ask you to help us have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. In your name we pray. Amen. Guys, here's what I want you to know. Um, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And going through the scripture, I couldn't avoid so many of these scriptures. I totally wanted to avoid these scriptures, but I could not. And here's what I'm trusting God for. I'm trusting God for his grace to be made manifest in your life this week. And my prayer is that you didn't hear a heavy word of condemnation, but that you heard an invitation from the Spirit of God to come into a deeper understanding of how much you are loved by Him. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 